So, Lord God, we pray now that you would help us to preach the truth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. One Sunday, toward the end of the first century A.D., an old man was in prayer in a Roman penal colony on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea, and he heard a voice. The voice was huge, like the sound of a trumpet and waterfalls all mixed together. And the voice said, write what you see and send it to the seven churches. He turned to see the word and he saw a man. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his face shone like the sun. Immediately, the old man fell down as if he was dead until Jesus walked over to him, bent down, touched him and said, John, it's me. Don't be afraid. I am alive forever and I have the keys of death and Hades. Because of the amazing content in the Gospel of John and the epistles of John, I believe that that John on the island of Patmos was the very same John that wrote the Gospels and ran to the tomb on Easter morning. And now, decades later, it was Easter once again. What John saw and wrote down, we now refer to as the Revelation. It is not titled the Revelation of weird tribulation in 2,000 years for those that are left behind. It's titled The Revelation of Jesus. And John was already getting tribulated. He says that right in the first chapter. The Revelation begins with seven letters, not to the seven churches, but to the angels, the seven angels of the seven churches, these seven little churches in Asia Minor that were first per facing persecution and poverty and the seduction of a wealthy pagan society. After dictating the letter to the seven churches, uh, to the angels of the seven churches, I should say, in each of which there's a call to conquer, Jesus calls to John from a door in heaven saying, come up here, and I will show you what must soon, must soon take place. Show you. That's what John sees. That's the vision. The seven letters are to the seven spirits of God in the seven churches, but the vision is to the seven churches and to us. It describes how we conquer. In chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus says to John, come up here, and at once John sees a throne. And uh, one that is seated on the throne. Around the throne, uh, or above the throne, there is a rainbow, and around the throne, 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones, the 12 sons of Israel and the 12 disciples of, of Jesus, which means John very likely saw himself. Go figure. Lightning and thunder emanate from the throne. Before it burns seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. Four amazing creatures surround the throne, and everything appears to be constantly animated by music as if it's a dance. In verse 8, John writes this, day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. His will must be his word. For in seven days, he created all things. So we're talking about all things. Next verse. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly 
because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John weeps. Actually, the Greek means he's we he weeps and he wails out loud because no one is found worthy to open the scroll. John must have seen something like this. And the strong right hand of God seated on the throne. In that day, official documents were sealed with uh, wax seals that would bear the imprint, like from a signet ring, of some official. Now, only authorized persons could open the scroll. And when they opened the scroll, the words in the scroll were enacted. Some have speculated that the scroll, which John sees, is the last will and testament to those that are to inherit the kingdom. Some say it's the Bible or the rest of the Revelation. Maybe it's all of that. But I think it's more than all of that. I think it's all things. Everyone is singing about God who created all things, and the scroll is sealed with, with seven seals. God creates all things, including you, in seven days. Six days, and then the seventh day, he rests. Uh, obviously, he's still creating you. I can tell. You're, you're, you're half-baked. I, I can tell. <laughs> obviously, he's still creating you, so obviously, this is still the sixth day of creation. Physicists like Gerald Schroeder point out that if the universe is 14 billion years old from the standpoint of the Earth and from the standpoint of the Big Bang or the background radiation, it's about like six days old. In other words, the seven days of creation are the history of space and time. I published a book this summer about that called um, The History of Time and the Genesis of You. Thirteen years ago, I published a book about the revelation called Eternity Now. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about uh, the number seven. Seven just shows up everywhere. There's seven days in a week, and the seventh day is the Sabbath day. The Jews are commanded to have seven feasts each year in the Revelation. Beside the seven churches, seven lamps, and seven torches, seven spirits, there are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven thunders, and seven bulls. Seals, trumpets, thunders, bulls, they're all like events that happen in the span of time. But at seven, something incredible always happens or ceases to happen. In Revelation 10, an angel that looks a lot like Jesus swears that at the seventh trumpet, time, chronos in Greek, chronological time, he swears time will be no more. Unlike the other days of creation in Genesis 1, the seventh day is not said to have an evening or a morning. Zechariah prophesies that a day, one peculiar day, is coming without day or night. At the end of the seventh day of the seventh feast, the Jews were commanded to observe one more Sabbath, the Shemini Aseret, an eighth day, like a continuation, an endless seventh day. Easter is the eighth day, an eternal seventh day. Already in the Revelation, God has said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Soon, Jesus will say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Scripture says that when we come to Christ, we come to the end of the ages, the, the ions. And from Christ, we receive ionios, eternal life. That's life from beyond the ages, like from God's age, the endless seventh day where everything, 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 everything is very good. What I'm trying to say is that the, the scroll in the strong right hand of God is space-time. <laughs> like all of space and time. The creation. So where is John? <laughs> and Jesus and the 24 elders? Well, they're not in space-time <laughs> or in space and time as we experience space and time. Human words utterly fail us at, at this point. 
but they're like on the other side of the Big Bang. Astrophysicists like Gabe Perez-Giz on PBS, they argue that space-time isn't well, really even objectively real. What is objectively real is something like causality. That's what they say, causality is. And strangely enough, consciousness causes things as if there's a consciousness behind all reality, just as there's a consciousness in you. One physicist like Niles Bohr pointed out that all matter is relative to meaning. In the mind of a conscious observer. The biblical word for meaning is logos, often translated word. Astrophysicist Albert Einstein pointed out that time is relative to light. The Bible says God is light and he creates all things with his word. At Niles Bohr's funeral, Albert Einstein stood up and said this, now Niles, he, he has departed from this strange world a little ahead of me. That means nothing. People like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Well, people like us who read the Bible know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. The creator is named I am that I am. And so the strange little world, the strange little world of space and time of ours is like a bubble of, well, something or maybe nothing. It's like a bubble of nothing or something inside of something else. Almost like a womb. And now John is standing outside of it, looking at it beginning to end. All creation. And he's weeping. He's weeping because no one is found worthy to unwrap the scroll and reveal its meaning. No, its meaning. The scroll is the sealed scroll is, is creation without meaning. Like a story without a plot. Like events without purpose. John is weeping for the same reason Mary wept outside the tomb. All her hopes had been crucified and now the body was missing and everything was absurd. John is weeping for the same reason that uh, Peter wept when he heard the cock crow. Christ was crucified and his ego was utterly crucified, obliterated. John is weeping because his friends are devoured by lions in the arena in places like Smyrna and Rome. He's weeping because all the disciples have been executed. He's exiled to a rock alone in the Aegean Sea and he doesn't know what any of it means. He doesn't know why. Viktor Frankl said despair is suffering without meaning. John is not weeping because he doesn't understand the left behind series or the 10 nation European Confederacy under Nikolai Carpathia. John is weeping because he sees no logos and all is chaos. John is staring into the abyss. What we loosely call hell. In the words of Bertrand Russell before he died, I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding despair. Because I'm a pastor, people will often come to me and say, Peter, unwrap the scroll. Uh, but not just any scroll, unwrap my scroll. They want me to unwrap their scroll, their own scroll. You know, we don't really use scrolls anymore. But we do have books. And people seem to assume their life is a story recorded in a book, and they want to know, what does it mean? Sometimes they'll be stuck on a particular page, terrified by what it means. Terrified that they'll hate the plot, or maybe even worse, that there is no plot. 
Sometimes it will be a page of neglect or abuse. Sometimes it will be the death of a loved one or a group of people in a place like Brussels, Belgium. Sometimes it will be a very evil death, symbolized by something like this. And I don't know what to tell them. I am not worthy to unwrap their scroll. I'm not the author of their story. In one of my favorite stories, a story about an abused orphan boy, he sobs into the night saying, I am the most unfortunate boy that ever lived. And a voice answers out of the darkness is the voice of a lion. Revelation chapter five, verse four, John stands weeping and wailing for no one is found worthy to open the scroll. Next verse. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. A lion, the most powerful, ferocious beast known in Jesus' day. A lion, the lion has conquered. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. At the end of his life, Albert Einstein said, now I see that the only question is, is the universe friendly? John looks at the throne of God beyond the event horizon of the Big Bang, and he sees a lamb standing as if it had been slain. The lion is a lamb, and John knows this lamb. His friend, Jesus, whom he had watched crucified. The lion is a bleeding lamb. Hebrews 10 verse 19 claims that his body broken and bloodshed is a newly sacrificed and living way. As if he's constantly bleeding. That sounds so gruesome. But in the revelation, wine is blood and blood is, is wine. As the seals are opened, it seems to flow throughout space and time. People wash their robes in the blood. They conquer evil by the blood. It fills the land of Israel to the depths of a horse's bridle until the war horses come to a stop. It appears to be poured out in bowls as wrath, but not wrath without meaning. Wrath that gets stuff done. Wrath that accomplishes God's purpose. At the seventh bowl, it is finished. Then after the seventh bowl, seventh trumpet, seventh seal, the blood appears to have transformed into a river of eternal life that flows from the throne on which the lamb is standing. And the river gives life to like an entire new creation. Maybe we shouldn't run from the blood. Maybe we should drink it. Well, the lamb on the throne can open the scroll. In his gospel, John goes out of the way to point out that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and that Jesus is the word of God through which all things are created and sustained. Jesus is enthroned and glorified in the gospel of John on his cross on which he says he will draw all people unto himself. St. Paul writes, God has made known, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. In him, all things hold together. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, the lamb can open the scroll. And the scroll is all space and time. And that really matters because it means that it contains your space and your time. And so think for a moment. 
Think about your very worst moment in all of space and all of time. Maybe it was a moment in which you were weeping, maybe even you were wailing louder and harder than you've ever wept and wailed before. And as you were, you cried out, what the hell is happening? Why is this happening? What does it mean? Or maybe it's a moment in which you have yet to weep for fear that you'll start weeping and you'll never, ever, ever be able to stop weeping. Well, that moment and every moment is on that scroll. And the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. Next verse. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns. The, la the lamb is all powerful and seven eyes, all seeing. Seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's us. You see, that means that the prayers you speak in space and time, they rise before the throne of God as it gives meaning to all space and time. Next verse. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. John hears every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them wildly, ecstatically singing praises to the lamb. And since John is a creature, he is also singing. And so John has gone from abject weeping and wailing to ecstatic and effusive singing in a symphony of endless praise. What happened? He saw the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne. He saw Easter. He truly saw Christ crucified and risen from, from the dead. The lamb on the throne gives new meaning to every moment in space and time, even the worst moment of all space and time. I mean, think about John. You know, according to the Gospels, John was the only disciple that hung around at the crucifixion. He stood there with Mary and Mary, and he watched as Jesus suffered the absolutely most horrific torments, uh, psychological, uh, spiritual, and physical torments. He watched him suffer and die. Can you imagine an event, a moment, more evil than the day the children of Adam crucified the best man that ever lived? The day we took the life of God on a tree in a garden. And now look at the lamb on the throne. Can you imagine an event, a moment, a happening more beautiful or good than the moment that God gave his life on a tree in a garden? God in Christ Jesus takes the greatest evil and transforms it into the revelation of the greatest good. In 1373, in May, Julian of Norwich had her incredible encounter with Christ crucified and risen from the dead. After the vision, she wrote this. This is what the Lord meant. 
since I have turned the greatest possible harm into good, it is my will that you should know from this that I shall turn all lesser evil into good. You, you understand? It's not just one event in the life of Jesus that turns from evil into good. It's all events in the life of all God's creatures that turn from evil into good. John has already written in Revelation 1 that Jesus is firstborn of the dead. St. Paul writes, firstborn from the dead, firstborn of many brethren, firstborn of all creation. Well, doesn't that imply that all creation is going to be born as he is born? So Jesus is the plot that gives meaning to every page in your book, every event in your story. For we're each being born out of creation into that place where everybody can't help but sing. And when you see that truth, who, who is the truth? The truth, well, it changes everything. Past, present, future. The truth changes everything right here, right, right now. I think kind of like this scene in, in the TV show Monk. Maybe you've seen it. Have you seen Monk? Adrian Monk is this neurotic detective who in this episode can't do his job or live his life because of a page in his story, an event in his past that cripples him now. Something I never told you. Something happened when I was a boy. There was an incident with a, with a man. Who was that? I'd never seen him before. Stranger. How old were you? I don't remember. Young. I was so small. I remember. I remember. I was naked. Take your time. I was so naked. I hated being naked. And I remember I was crying. And then he hit me. Adrian, I'm so sorry. There was blood. I wanted him to stop. My mother, my mother was smiling. Wait, wait your, your mother was there? Why didn't she stop him? She was supposed to protect me. He kept hitting me, swinging me around upside down. You were upside down? Was he wearing a mask? I never wanted to be naked again. Adrian, th that man was a doctor. You're remembering your own birth. Doctor. Doctor. Anybody else, I wouldn't have believed it, but do you? <laughs> doctor? Mm -hmm. Well, that would explain a lot, actually. The lights and my father in the doorway holding a balloon. Mm -hmm. Feel better? Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> wow. That only took 11 years. And so maybe it takes a lifetime to be born from above. And no matter what, it hurts. But once you see the truth, everything changes. But how do you know the truth? How do you come to trust the truth? How do you fall in love with the truth? Is the truth a law or a formula or some physics equation? 
Is the truth a, a, a rule? Or, uh, is it a force or a power that you cannot resist? I mean, is the truth simply great knowledge or great power? John records Jesus as saying this, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you see, that means that the truth is a lion who chooses to be a lamb in order to bleed for you. In Revelation 5, they all sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. In other words, you are worthy to give meaning to my life because you bleed for me. In other words, I trust you. I put my faith in you because you bleed for me. You know, if you were to line me up with Albert Einstein and Barack Obama, great knowledge and great power, and then ask my wife and my kids, who is most worthy out of these three? <laughs> who is most worthy to tell you who you really are? I think they'd pick me. I hope they pick me because they've watched me bleed for them. When my kids were little, they'd fall and hurt themselves and come running to me, weeping and, and wailing. They'd show me their wound and I'd kiss it. And they'd stop weeping and start singing and dancing once again. My kiss changed the meaning of their wounds. The older we get, the less we trust the Father's kiss. And the more we trust our own knowledge and our power, and the less we dance and sing. And it's true that in this world, some children have terrible fathers, and some wounds are incredibly deep, and the abuse of some is far, far worse than just a misperception on a TV show. I think this has all become so real to me because for about 15 years, my wife and I spent a great deal of time praying for a friend who had been abused in the most horrific of ways. Her healing consisted of surrendering painful events in her past to Jesus. We would usually have communion, which is blood that's wine and wine that's blood, and she would usually have a vision in which she would see Jesus in a past event. And seeing Jesus, the lion, having become a lamb, now bleeding for her, seeing Jesus changed every event, the meaning of every moment in the lostness, she'd see the way. In the lies, she'd encounter the truth. In death, she'd watch the life conquer. And in her shame, she'd see that the lion is a lamb who bleeds with infinite love for her. I think every event and certainly every sin that you commit in space and time is an invitation to see the lion who is a lamb that bleeds for you. He is worthy to unwrap your scroll. So when you come to worship, I don't tell you who to vote for. If you want rules, I'll say something like, go read the Ten Commandments. There's some pretty good rules. Read, read those. If you ask for practical application points, I honestly get nervous. Why? Because I'm not worthy to unwrap your scroll. At best, I can point to the one who is and say, look at him, worship him. And then you'll start dancing to his tune. St. Paul wrote, I chose to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne. On one occasion, my friend remembered actual pictures. They were so horrifying, I knew that I couldn't give meaning to those pictures. They appeared to mean that she could never be what she longed to be and that God would always forsake her. I asked Jesus in this, this vision to destroy the pictures and he would not destroy the pictures. In fact, he filled the pictures. He filled the pictures with himself and in the places she thought she was forever forsaken, he revealed that he was holding her and in that moment, 
without telling her who she truly was. And in the place she thought she would never be what she truly desired, he revealed, he said to her, you are and you will always be my little angel, what she had longed to be ever since she was a little child, but believed she couldn't be because of the abuse. And in the very place she thought she was not his people, to use the words of Hosea and Paul in the book of Romans, in that very place she thought she was not his people, he revealed that she was his people. She was his daughter, his bride, his very own body. He revealed his story was her story and her story was his story. It was as if every moment passed through his cross and the very worst moment would become the very best moment. And when we would see it, we could not help but worship. I had asked Jesus to destroy the pictures. But in the vision, Jesus filled each picture. Then he literally framed each picture. She watched him frame each picture. And then he handed him back to her saying, these pictures are our pictures. It was like reading a great book. You know, when you get to the end of a great book, you see the plot and the plot changes the meaning of every page in the book. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's the plot. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Shasta, the unluckiest boy in the world, he finds himself lost, confused. He's walking in the darkness alone. He begins to weep when suddenly he senses something really huge uh, right next to him. Something huge, someone huge, terrified. He whispers, who are you? And he hears one who has waited long for you to speak. Then the voice says, tell me your sorrows. And Shasta does, saying, I must be the most unfortunate boy that ever lived. Unfortunate. I do not call you unfortunate, said the loud voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? There was only one lion, said the voice. I was the lion. And Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing. The voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so they came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Erebus, exclaimed Shasta. It was I. But what for? Child, said the voice. I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Who are you? asked Shasta. Myself said the voice very deep and low so that the earth shook and again, myself, loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves wrestled with it. Of course, the lion is the lamb and the lamb is the lion in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. At the end of the world, in one book, looking for the lion, the children encounter a lamb and ask it for directions. There is a way into my country from all the worlds, said the lamb. But as he spoke, his snowy white flushed into tawny gold and his size changed and he was the lion himself, towering above them and scattering light from his mane. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? I shall be telling you all the time, said the lion. All the time. I think that's why God made time. So you would see that the lion is a lamb who bleeds for you. Jesus is the meaning of all space and time. And all space and time is the revelation of the meaning, the revelation of Jesus. And Jesus is the revelation of God. And God is love who creates you with his own will and his own word, Jesus. So what happens if you run from his will and hide from his word? 
who is the plot to your very own story. In the next chapter, Revelation 6, Jesus begins to open the seals on the scroll, and as he does, history happens. We see conquests, wars, famine, death. They ride out across the face of the earth. It's not that these things will happen sometime in the future. They've been happening for thousands of years. I mean, I'm just surprised that some people haven't noticed that. Well, anyway, when the Lamb opens the sixth seal, there's an earthquake. The sun goes black and the moon turns red. Jesus is crucified at the sixth hour on the sixth day of the week, the sixth day of creation. And when he is, there's a great earthquake. The sun goes black and the moon turns red. The lamb opens the sixth seal. And now I quote, the kings of the earth and everyone, they hide in caves, calling to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, saying, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. The wrath of the lamb is blood, his blood, and the life is in the blood. When you run from Jesus, what are you running from? You're running from the way, the truth, and the life, and you're hiding yourself in uh, darkness, lies, and death. You hide in the depths of the earth. You hide in the bowels of space and time. The Bible calls that place Hades. It begins even here on the surface of the earth and continues after a body dies. But you see, that place, Hades, is part of space and time. In chapter 20, it comes to an end. In an eternal lake of fire, and God is eternal fire. Jesus, the man on fire, the lion and the lamb, is the end of death, the death of death. Jesus is the death of death, the life. And so in chapter 21, we hear a voice cry out from the throne, Look! I make all things new. We see a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down, and the kings of the earth who once hid themselves in the depths of the earth, whose flesh was eaten by the birds of the air, they bring their glory into it. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing book. But then in the last chapter, there's one bizarre statement. Outside, outside the eternal city, outside is everyone who practices falsehood. That is everyone who hates the truth. So you see, as long as you hate the lamb, you hate the truth and hide from the life, lost in death, you hide from eternal life, lost in the depths of space and time. So I am absolutely not saying that you don't need faith to be saved. Salvation is faith. I'm just saying that time comes to an end named Jesus. And in Revelation 5, John hears every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. And that song is faith. I'm saying that even if you write yourself out of his story, which is your story, somehow he writes you back in. And that's the story. You know, John had a friend named Judas. Judas betrayed the lamb and hung himself in the valley of Gehenna just outside of Jerusalem. Maybe you know someone like that. And now you're terrified of the lamb. You're even a bit terrified that I bring it up in church on Easter morning because you think to yourself, there's no way that Jesus can make that person new. Well, I'm not saying that they don't descend into Hades. I'm not even saying that they won't be consumed by eternal fire. I'm just saying that nothing is more powerful than the word of God who is the lion that chose to be a lamb to bleed for you and them and all creation. And if Judas is a creature that God created, if, if Judas is a creature that God created, then John heard him singing 
Maybe he even saw him sitting on a throne, casting his crown along with 23 other elders. I'm saying that even if you write yourself out of his story, which is called sin, even if you write yourself out of his story, which is your story, he writes you back in, and that's the story. That's the gospel. Good news, grace. That's why Christ is crucified. That's why a slaughtered lamb is standing on the throne, bleeding. So you will see nothing is more powerful than the blood of the lamb. It judges you, cleanses you, and is the life of God within you. His blood creates faith in you. John wrote, this is the victory that conquers the world. Our faith. Your faith is expressed as worship, and that's how you become who you truly are. You have been destined and appointed to be, to live to the praise of his glory. You have been created to enjoy God forever and ever and ever and even beyond the evers. So can the lamb even make something like this new? You know, it's kind of a strange question to ask on Easter Sunday morning. Because many of you, maybe even most of you, you came to church this morning, this fine Easter morning, with something very, very similar to this wrapped around your neck, probably hanging from a very uh, nice, fine little gold chain. It's called the cross. You know, the cross makes a noose look like a walk in the park. And now you wear one around your neck as the ultimate symbol of faith, hope, love, and life, eternal life. If you take your life as if you're the Lord of your life, you trap yourself in death and Hades for a time. But when you surrender your life to the lamb on the throne, you die with him and rise with him to eternal life. God's commandment is eternal life, says Jesus, the word of God and the Gospel of John. The life flows between you and your neighbor like blood flows in one body and the body cannot stop singing. Holy, holy, holy and worthy is the Lamb. And so he took bread and broke it saying, this is my body, which is for you. And he took the cup, saying, this is my blood of the covenant. Drink of it, all of you. This is the lamb. This is the throne. And he's worthy to unwrap your scroll. When you see it, when you truly see it, you will start singing. And that's good news. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? And just say, Lord, you can say this silent in your heart. And I'm not going to do any weird things, so just pray it, okay? <laughs> just pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you that you give your life, that your life would be in me. I give you my life, that my life would be in you. I give you that moment that I thought of before. That I would be in you. 
Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, writes Paul, if any is in Christ, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. And so we invite you to come to the table for communion. If you don't want communion with him, uh, you can stay in your seat or you can just pass by. But understand this, he wants communion with you. The dark cup is wine, the light cup is juice. They're both wine that's blood and blood that's wine. We invite you to tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and then take that piece, take that piece of lamb and ingest it. See, it turns out that the throne of God is in you. That's the gospel. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Because you are good. Long, long, long ago, we wondered what the good was and we tried to know the good. And lo and behold, the good is knowing us and you have known us and revealed yourself to us. And you are good. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit. Amen. And so now, may you keep your eyes on the lamb standing on the throne. In other words, believe the gospel and live in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>